Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 31st of October 2021, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the Righteousness of God. So I wonder what is your personal experience of being chosen for something? Or perhaps not being chosen for something? Now, I don't know whether this still happens, but when I was at school and we were playing football or some game like that, the teacher would very often uh, get us all together and appoint a couple of captains. And those captains then would pick the sides for the particular game that we were playing. And each captain would take it in turns to pick someone, and usually first they would pick the obviously good players, followed perhaps by those who were their friends, and uh, that followed uh, on as the other choices followed. And the thing was that uh, some of you will know what this feels like. As that line of children got smaller and smaller, everyone present knew that there was someone there who would soon, very soon, face the ignominy, ignominy of playing for one of those sides because no one had chosen them. Yet pretty awful, and if you were that kid, and I was on a number of occasions, you've hopefully got some more positive experiences of being chosen to go with it. Being chosen perhaps for a certain job. Being chosen perhaps as the person that someone else wanted to marry. Being chosen to take on a certain task or responsibility. But of course, being chosen leaving out not being chosen, but being chosen itself isn't always that positive or doesn't feel that way, does it? It carries with it a weight of responsibility. Being chosen quite often carries a weight of expectation that we may or may not feel that we're up to. And the Bible is quite clear that we, Christians, the church, are chosen by God. Although belonging to the church may feel like a choice on our part, and to some extent that's true, the most fundamental choice, the Bible says, when people become Christians, has been made by God. God, according to the Bible, calls people to belong to him. And it says that when that happens, that's because he has chosen them. And here, coming up on the screen, is one of the pastures, that most clearly states this from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. This is what it says. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. But this creates a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Talk of Christians being chosen, let alone predestined by God, immediately starts to make God look a little bit unfair. And there have been periods in church history when passages like this have been used very deliberately to divide humanity into two groups. On the one hand, the elect, those who are chosen or predestined by God for salvation or who rescue, and on the other hand, the reprobate, those chosen by God to be damned. And Calvinism, particularly in the way that it was developed by the followers of John Calvin, who was a uh, reformer in the 16th century, particularly in the way his followers developed it, if not by Calvin himself, was so anxious to preserve God's sovereignty that it basically took this line. There are some predestined or chosen for salvation, and logically, therefore, there are some who are predestined for damnation. 
And those who said that this was wrong and unfair, Christians called Arminians, after their founder, Jacob Arminius, well, Calvinist Christians said to them, who are you to question God? God can choose and he cannot choose whoever he wants. That's up to him. So what is the answer? How should we understand those passages in the Bible that speak of the church, that speak of Christians being chosen by God? There is an answer, I believe, and a very satisfactory one. The answer, I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, is that Christians are chosen by God, but for responsibility rather than privilege. Because look at how the rest of that passage from Ephesians continues. These are the words that we had up earlier, but look at them, the part in yellow. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Why? In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the hope of his glory. Why does God need people to be for the praise of his glory? It's so that we can be a witness to that glory to the rest of the world. Because God wants those who are in the church to be the first who belong to him, but not the last. And the way in which this happens is made clear in that passage that Pete read a few moments ago from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Here it is. There's quite a lot of words up there, so I'll be highlighting, or Elizabeth for me will be highlighting certain bits. It's a passage that, when you look at it, speaks of those who are chosen being ambassadors of God's new creation and entrusted by God with the ministry of reconciliation. You see, the whole of the Bible is the story of God's commitment to put the world right. To put the world right, not by scrubbing it and doing something better, but by bringing his new creation. And the word that the Bible, particularly through the Old Testament and in the Psalms, uses for God's commitment to putting the world right is his righteousness. That means his covenant justice, the fact that God is committed to putting things right. The world as we have it still possesses the stamp of original goodness that God gave it in creation, but it's spoiled and defaced, isn't it? It's divided from itself, and people are divided, and the whole creation is out of joint through being cut off from God. But God has begun that process of reconciling the world to him. First of all, he has done it by reconciling those in the church to him through Jesus Christ, and then by giving that same church the ministry of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says at the start of this passage, then new creation has happened. And it's on this basis that these people who are already part of God's new creation become his ambassadors. They become the agents of his reconciliation. And Paul couldn't be making a stronger point about the role of the church than what he says at the end of this passage. He says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The church, in other, ways, in other words, is chosen to be a vital part, an indispensable part 
of God's rescue plan for the world. Sequels uh, to films aren't usually that good, are they, if we're honest? A classic film comes out, which is hugely popular. There's an example of three pretty great films. I'm less mad on the middle one, but I love the two either side. The middle one's okay, I suppose. But they've all been followed by inadequate sequels. So basically, to cash in on the success of these magnificent films, these ones followed. And all of them, like most sequels, lacked the quality. They lacked the X factor, to put it mildly, of the original film. And in some ways, they rather spoiled those original films just by existing. But on this occasion, the imperfection of the sequel, and we're the sequel, is deliberate. Because the church, you and I, are chosen to be the imperfect sequel to the perfect earthly ministry of Jesus. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, came to deal with sin and to reconcile us to God. But then we get Jesus' ascension into heaven and we get the coming of the Holy Spirit. And those events there basically feed in to the ongoing task of reconciliation which passes to the church. It passes to people like us and including us who are appointed to be Christ's ambassadors. The book of Acts in the New Testament is a sequel it's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And it's about what Jesus continued to do after his ascension. What Jesus continued to do after his ascension into heaven through the church and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that work, well, it wasn't intended to stop after 30 years when the book of Acts reaches its close. It's intended to continue through us today. The church is chosen to repeat not for privilege, or not so much for privilege, as the awesome responsibility of being the ongoing righteousness of God. Being Christ's ambassadors, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Just like the people of Israel in the Old Testament were chosen because they were intended to be a kingdom of priests, Israel was always meant to be chosen to display to the world what it looked like to live under the loving rule of God. So the church is chosen to continue that calling, to represent God and his rescuing love for the world. But we're back to that nervousness that comes through being chosen. It's a horrible thing not to be chosen, but sometimes when we are chosen, we think I'd rather not be. Because of the responsibility that that task brings us. How are we? little old us, meant to respond to this calling to become the righteousness of God. Well, it's partly by remembering that point I made earlier about sequels. God calls the church in our very imperfection and weakness. One of the big themes, in fact, the big theme of 2 Corinthians, which is why it's such an important letter, a very neglected one, but an important letter, is that Paul defends his ministry in this letter by the way that God reveals his power most through human weakness. Paul says lots of things in this letter, but one of the most memorable is where he speaks about Christians having treasure in jars of clay. 
And that illustration is used to say that it's in our very weakness, our very seeming inadequacy, our imperfection, that God's power, God's treasure can be most displayed. Our very imperfections are what allows God's perfect love to be revealed to the world. If you look at those uh, jars there, if they were all encrusted with uh, rubies and sapphires, and if they were gold and they were silver, the treasure wouldn't get as much attention as it needs, would it? And it's through the very uh, fractured nature of those ordinary clay jars that the treasure is most shown. So how are we to be ministers of reconciliation? How are we to implore the world, as Paul says, to be reconciled to God? Is it this way? Should we make a sandwich board or buy one, put repent or perish on it, and wander around with that on? Any volunteers for doing that? I thought it might be one or two, but no. This is, I believe, actually the link to a few weeks back when I talked about the church being the body of Christ. And now each of us is differently gifted for this task. Because the truth is that every single one of us are called to be Christ's ambassadors. All of us. It's not something that some of us are called to and some of us aren't. We're all called to be Christ's ambassadors, to be part of the righteousness of God through the ministry of reconciliation. But the ways in which we do that will be very, very different. Because we're different and we've been differently gifted. So we all have different ways of responding to this overall task. Today, as Katie said earlier, is the 31st of October. And as well as being the day on which the Reformation began in Germany 504 years ago, that tends to get squeezed out a bit, it is also, as Katie said earlier, Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. And as I did last year, I will be later on when it's dark, putting on my surplus, it's the only time that it gets worn these days, I'll be putting on my blonde mullet, which for some reason I think goes with it, and my angel wings, and I'll be going about New Malden, giving sweets to, to our children, and if it's anything like last year, uh, any rowdy teenagers who accost me. Now let me know afterwards if you'd like a visit to your children, uh, to your house, and I'll make sure they get one. Now, this is, in all honesty, not everyone's choice about how to be an ambassador for Christ, is it? But what I hope and what I pray is that on a night when the focus is very much on the dark stuff of life, it can be a small part of showing children and young people, and anyone else for that matter, that there is a God of light. A God of light who in this dark world loves them to bits because he sent Jesus Christ to be their rescuer. I won't have my little sidekick with me this year with her blue wig because she's off at university, so hopefully I won't get arrested. She might have protected me last year. But it will be great fun. And I believe, very seriously, part of being an ambassador for Christ with the Ministry of Reconciliation. Now, as I say, that's not everyone's choice. It's the only way I try to go about this. You might think it's perhaps too good an example of God using your vicar's imperfections. But how might God be calling you to use your gifts, imperfect though they might be, imperfect though they will be, to be Christ's ambassador and a minister of reconciliation? It's not just about sharing our personal faith with someone, 
Because the goal of new creation reminds us that Christian mission includes anything at all that anticipates the reconciliation of all things that God will one day bring about. So it includes seeking to bring God's justice to places where that justice at the moment isn't present. That is part of the ministry of reconciliation. It includes, includes being a peacemaker in places where there is currently conflict. That, fairly obviously, is part of the ministry of reconciliation. It includes pr uh, promoting and demonstrating that care for creation, the care that we're getting more and more aware of being so desperately important, is vital. That is part of the ministry of reconciliation. All of these are ways in which we can demonstrate, we can show that we are part of God's coming new creation. And we're committed to seeing that new creation extended ahead of the day when God will bring it to completion. The reason the Holy Spirit is given to us is to bring a taste of that future into the present, to equip us to be agents of God's new creation. And it means anything that we do in the power of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to see some of that future that God will one day come about brought into the present, that is being part of the righteousness of God. That's being Christ's ambassadors entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. So what are the practical ways that God might be calling us to do this as a church community and as individuals. Well, the shoebox appeal that Helen spoke about earlier, that is a very concrete, very tangible way of seeking to bring more of God's healing justice into the world. And the thing about those small acts is they punch above their weight. This is the wonderful thing about God's Holy Spirit, that we do things that we might think are a drop in the ocean, but they're not, because God's Holy Spirit is more powerful than anything. And so we make a response like that. We commit to making that shoebox, perhaps with a, a group of others, perhaps with a group of children, grandchildren, whatever, maybe with friends, maybe by ourselves or with our family. And God's Holy Spirit uses that, that treasure in jars of clay, to be part of more of his new creation coming into the present. There are other ways as well, ways in which this church is trying to be an agent of his reconciliation. Our lunch club, Grapevine, has had a long break because of COVID, but it's coming back. It starts again uh, next Sunday. It's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, I've ever been involved in because it so tangibly brings God's reconciliation. You're so strongly on behalf of God, welcoming people into this church who don't think or didn't think before Grapevine that they were really wanted at all. And they come along and they're welcomed and people don't just serve them food, they sit and eat with them, and they show them God's love, and you see new creation happening in front of you. It's one of the most magical things, if that's the right word, that I've ever been involved in. It's a crucial way that we can express our response to being chosen and called to this ministry of reconciliation. As Katie also said, uh, the Saturday after that, we're having a tea party to relaunch Half Shares. Now, Half Shares was started years ago by a wonderful woman from this church called Barbara Hill. She's still alive. She lives in retirement in Wallington. And uh, she was someone who lost her daughter, Diana, to leukemia. And it was a terribly tragic moment in her life, but she felt that God was calling her 
out of that grief to meet with other people who were bereaved. And she set up this group originally for young widows, originally for young women who'd lost their husbands. There was a number of them. And uh, it's continued over the years. It's been sort of brought more fully into Christchurch as a group. And uh, it has, or certainly had before COVID, a large number of widows coming along to it. Uh, it met on Tuesdays at 2.30, and we probably will put it back to that date, but we're kicking off with the tea party. Now, if you think you can be part of uh, being part of that ministry of reconciliation, then it may be that Grapevine or half shares are things that you can help out with. Grapevine doesn't just mean coming uh, necessarily on a Sunday. There's a group that meet on the Saturday, the day before, and a number of people, they're real heroes because they come and cook that food, which they don't eat, but they come on the Saturday to help prepare that food for others who, who won't even know who they are, won't even know that they've done it, although we, we express thanks to them, but they're rather faceless on the Sunday. Uh, but they've been a crucial part of that ministry. It's a wonderful privilege. It is an awesome responsibility as well, but it's a wonderful privilege but not a privilege of saying we're the special ones and you lot aren't. It's actually saying we're the ones who God in his grace has chosen to be a channel of his love, to be his ambassadors, to be the first lot of hopefully many who will then be brought in to God's family through his love. We might think God should have chosen another way of doing it. We might think God should have done it all by himself he did the, the vital stuff of sending Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again. But then God entrusts the church with this ministry of reconciliation. Unfortunately, as I said earlier, our weaknesses, our imperfections, the mistakes we make, the uh, lack of quality uh, inevitably which affects everything that we do, that is all part of the plan so that God's treasure can be revealed in jars of clay. Primarily, this calling is given to us as a church. It's given to us as a people. We work much better together. But also, we can do this as individuals. So think, as I've asked you to do before, about where you'll be this time tomorrow. This time tomorrow morning, where will you be? What people will you be with if you are with people, you might be by yourself, but if you are with people, what sort of reconciliation, what sort of aspect of God's future do they particularly need to witness or perhaps hear about? What place will you be in? And what's the greatest need of that place in terms of reconciliation? In what ways most will that place need to hear about or have displayed to them the reconciling and healing love of God. Wherever we, be, wherever we are, there are opportunities for us to be Christ's ambassadors. There are opportunities for us to be ministers of reconciliation. And that's because every single person in this church, without exception, has been chosen. We've been chosen not so much for privilege as responsibility. So that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, but not the last, might be for the praise of his glory.